We come to the third part of the series, but before John comes up to speak, we're going to see a very creative retelling of the story we've heard for the last couple of weeks, which is the story of the lost son from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Do you ever get tired of your boring day-to-day life? I know I do. I should say that I did. Then I decided to do something about it. You see, conventional wisdom says that you live your life and then your parents die and they give you whatever they have left over, an inheritance. (laughs) I'm sorry, that just wasn't good enough for me. So I decided to do something about it, you know? I want my money right now. So one day, I walked right up to my dad and I said to him, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. I want what's coming to me right now. All I could think of that moment was, I'd like to give you what's coming to you right now. I brought him into this world, and I can make another one just like him. But he's my son, and I love him. So I gave him his money and told him if he could have a better life on his own without me, so be it. He packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. Kissed this boring place goodbye. I had places to go, people to see. So the first thing I did was, my son got lost. I love him, but he's no Magellan. I heard he had to stop for directions at least four times before he even made it out of our hometown. You know what? No, not four, okay? It was three. And and one of them wasn't even my fault. I, I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. I was just like, okay, thank you. And besides that, The only reason I can't follow directions is because somebody never taught me to follow directions. Don't go there. Okay, look. The point is, I got out of there, and I started to live it up. I mean, I had more friends than I knew what to do with. I was eating like a king. I had the finest clothes, and the ladies. (laughs) What can I say about the ladies? I can say something about the ladies. They were women, but they were not ladies. Okay, okay, you know what? Never mind. The, the thing was, life was good. Until? Until my son's money ran out around the same time a recession hit our country. There, there wasn't any work to be found. I, I mean, I tried. I really tried. But there just weren't jobs. Eventually, I found a job. It wasn't bad. It was a manager's position. It was an associate position at the... Okay, I was a bacon preparation assistant. Which means? I fed pigs. I hated that job. I didn't pay much. I I didn't have enough money for a place to live. There were many days I didn't even have enough money to eat. Sometimes I was so hungry, I would gladly have eaten the disgusting scraps I was feeding the pigs, but I couldn't. They wouldn't let me. So with hunger pains is a constant reminder of how I'd squandered everything my father had given me. I lived in agony day after day after day after day. I'd watch and I'd wait for my son to come home and my heart would ache as only a parent's heart could for his own child. But hear me on this. I never gave up on him. I never gave up on him. I knew that it would happen one day. One day it hit me. One day I realized that The lowliest of my father's workers lived better than I did. At at least they had a place to live and food to eat, and I didn't have either one of those things. So I wondered, what if he never comes to his senses? What if he lets pride just get in the way? No, no. 
I will see him again, again and again. These thoughts ran through my head as I began my journey back to my father's house. I knew what I would do. Um, there's no way that I would accept a handout, and, and I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son. So I would ask him to hire me on as a worker. I mean, maybe he would do that. Just maybe. Maybe today will be the day that my son will come home. That's what I would say every morning when I'd wake up. Maybe today will be the day that I would see him off in the distance as he makes his way back home. Home. That word means so many things. Comfort, care, security, love, home. I couldn't believe I was just a few hundred yards away from it. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting on my front porch, and that's when I saw him. He stood up out of his chair. He looked in my direction. He squinted his eyes to get a better look at me. And then I began to wonder, what if he doesn't take me back? What if, what if I get to him and he just looks at me and he says, I, I told you so, I told, I told you. you so. Some of you would just roll your eyes every time I mentioned my son. But I knew he would come back. I just knew. I just knew this was a bad idea. I knew I shouldn't have done this, and so I just stopped. He just stood there. I couldn't move. I couldn't just stand there, so he jumped. My dad literally jumped off the porch. I'd never seen him do anything like that before. It was like he was this little kid who was excited about something. And then it hit me. He was excited about me. So you know what I did next? I I ran. ran. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. I'd never seen him run so fast. He was running at me with his arms stretched out wide as if to say, Welcome home! Welcome home! That's what I kept shouting to him. But I don't know if he could hear me, so I just kept shouting it over and over. All I wanted to do was just scoop him up in my arms like he was when he was like a little child. And just let him know that everything was going to be okay. And as I got closer to him... I could see tears running down his face. He was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my son did next? (laughs) I jumped. I I was nervous. I was excited. And so I literally jumped. And you know what my father did? Well, I fell backwards. He's a big boy. (laughs) And then, and then he hugged me. And he embraced me like only a father can kept saying over and over again, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son is back. Get him some clean clothes. Uh, Let's give him a meal. No, a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. For all my hopes have come true. I guess it was hope. Hope that made me start that journey back home. Hope that got me through all the miles. A hope that my father would take me back and somehow I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It's all forgiven and I will never bring it up ever again. There is no shame. There is no guilt. For my son was lost and now he is found. It's a good story. Morning everybody. Good to see you Uh, and I just want to say to anyone who's been here the last couple of weeks and has come back again for the third week, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for sticking with this series. And if you're here for the first time today as well, thank you so much for, uh, 
for giving us your time. Uh, I trust you'll have a great morning with us. I remember when I was very young, uh, maybe six or seven years old, that kind of thing, and I was playing at a friend's house. Actually, it was just down the road on Rose Avenue. And um, we were playing outside, we were playing inside, coming in and out, in and out, and it got to the point where her mum said, look, either play outside and stay outside, or play inside and stay inside. And we decided to play outside, because she just didn't want us to keep coming in and out, bringing mud in and all the rest. So we played outside, and of course, needless to say, five minutes later, we changed our minds, we got bored, and we thought, no, actually, we want to play inside, but also didn't want to incur the wrath of my friend's mum. So I had an ingenious idea. It was a real corker of a plan. Um, We went round to the front of the house, and I just put my arm in through the letterbox to, to open the front door, so that we could sneak up the stairs and play inside so, without anybody knowing. But there were two problems with this. One was I couldn't quite reach. I couldn't quite get to the, to the latch, or if I did, I couldn't open it. Um, and the second and rather more significant problem is that I now couldn't get my arm out of the letterbox because <laughs> it had gone over the elbow and it was just... So um, I, the sensible thing to do at that point would have been to send my friend to ask for help, but I guess I felt a bit embarrassed um, my pride had been, had been significantly hurt here because the epic failure of my ingenious plan. Um, I wanted to get out of this myself, and I was probably also a little bit frightened of the reception I might receive on asking for help as well. So I, I thought, I'm going to do that. I was twisting my arm around, trying to get it out. Nothing would work. It was completely stuck. And I vividly remember, you know how sometimes you have those memories, snapshot memories that are very vivid? I vividly remember the thoughts that were going through my mind at that point that I was going to be there for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that when anyone opened the front door, I would, have to, I would have to move with it, and when they closed, I'd have to come back with it, and people would have to bring me food. And So I, I started to get a little bit panicky, I got a bit tearful, wondering how am I going to get out of this, but still retaining the stubbornness of not asking for help. Not going to ask for help. Now, of course, eventually it was noticed that there was an arm through the letterbox, and with the help of a bit of butter... I was soon released from my captivity. But I don't think it's an uncommon trait to resist asking for help. You know, like when you're in the car, for example, and you're somewhere unfamiliar, you're looking for somewhere, um, and then the suggestion comes, why don't you pull over and ask that person? And you're like, well, why would I need to do that? I'm not lost. Do you think I'm weak? You know, I know exactly where we are. You'll see. Maybe that's more of a male um, thing. But sometimes... We can find ourselves in a situation in life, and sometimes serious, serious situations in life, where we're stuck. We're just stuck, and we need help to get out of it. But there's something in us that wants to have it all together, wants to solve this ourselves. So we're in the middle of this five-week series uh, where we're looking at five aspects that we can draw out of this story that Jesus told of the lost son in Luke 15. And as you can see, today's aspect we're looking at is help. But there is a progression to these five aspects, to these five themes Um, So I'm going to briefly recap on where we've been. So the first week we talked about longing and how it was a sense of longing for more. There's got to be more to life than this that led this younger son in the story to the distant land, looking to find fulfillment in, in a particular lifestyle. And we established that actually we all have longings. There are certain universal longings, needs that we're born with, that we all have for love, for purpose, for meaning in life. We all have these longings. And actually we all live with unfulfilled longings, when we realize that that thing that we thought was going to bring us lasting happiness actually turns out not to quite deliver what we thought. It doesn't quite deliver the fulfillment and the lasting satisfaction that we had hoped for. There's still 
something missing. We still left wanting more. And I was thinking about this. It's kind of a bit like when you're reading a book and you're really enjoying the story. You know, when you get really into a story and you can't wait to find out what happens next, you're wrapped up in the drama. And then in such a book, whenever the book ends, however good the ending is, it's disappointing. The ending is always disappointing because you're no longer in that place of drama and what's happening next. So kind of like that relationship, that's what's going to make me happy. And yeah, it's exciting when you get into it and all the first things of it. But over time, you realize it doesn't completely satisfy. Or having a family is great, but it doesn't completely satisfy. Or getting to the top of your career, getting promotion is great, but what next? It doesn't completely satisfy. The longing is still there. The longing still remains because... And this is the the, the suggestion I made, the proposition I made, really, was that the longings we have are actually God-given to point us to him, where we can find fulfillment of, of those longings. That all the longings, the needs that we have, can only actually be fully met in relationship with God. That's how we were designed. And there's nothing else in this world, no matter how far we look, that will completely satisfy, bring that lasting satisfaction that we're looking for. Then last week was about the aspect of regret. And um, Neil talked last week, and sometimes we come to um, a point in life where we would like to do things differently. Or maybe we'd like to start over in our lives in some way, and particularly when we experience the disappointment of unfulfilled longings. When that feeling of there's got to be more to life than this becomes more acute. And when we experience this regret, it's like we come to a crossroads where we can go in one of two directions. We can either uh, go, as Neil talked about last week, into this sorry cycle. So he talks about the sorry cycle, this endless cycle of longing and regret, longing and regret. So it's, this is what's going to make me happy. I'm going to go after this. That's going to be where I'm going to find happiness. This is where I'm going to fulfill my longings. But then over time, you realize it doesn't. Whatever it might be, it doesn't fulfill those longings. And so you experience disappointment, dissatisfaction, and regret. And then you go back and think, well, I'm going to look here for happiness. It might be the same place again, but it might be in something different. I'm going to look here for happiness now. This is where I'm going to find satisfaction. It's always looking for the next thing that's going to satisfy me. But then you experience disappointment and you experience regret. And that shows itself in different ways, in different people's lives. So for some people, it might lead to addictive behavior, like gambling, Uh, alcohol, drugs, pornography, those kind of things. For other people, it might be, uh, I feel down, so I'm going to go shopping. That's how I kind of numb that feeling. That's how I lose myself a bit. I go shopping, I build up massive credit card debts, or I comfort eat, or whatever it might be. For others, it might be escapism. You know, live your life through Facebook, or or lose yourself in entertainment, in films, in TV, in sports, in whatever it might be. But you always come back to reality, and then you seek to lose yourself again. It's a cycle. It might be relationships. It could be anything. But we we get caught in this continuous pattern of searching for fulfillment on our own terms and then finding disappointment, ultimately. Each time thinking, this time will be different. This, This is what's going to make me happy. But it doesn't. Now, the choice that we face at the crossroads when we experience this regret, when we realize we still live with unfulfilled longings, when even though you might have everything you want, You might have family, friends, good job, comfort. You might have everything, but we still want more. It's like an insatiable appetite for more in us. There's got to be more to life. The choice we face at that crossroads is either we keep going in that cycle or we find help to break out of that cycle. And that's the third aspect that we're looking at today, help, finding help. And this really is the game changer. 
this is where we can find a new direction in life. So in the story, it tells us uh, in verse 17 that he came to his senses. This younger son, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I'll go back to my father and I'll offer to be his servant. He came to his senses and he decided to turn his life around. And last week we talked about the biblical word for that, which is repentance. Repentance, turn your life around. That realization that you're going the wrong way. So last week, Neil uh, showed that clip from planes, trains, and automobiles of them going the wrong way on the motorway. It kind of reminds me of when I was living in France for a year as a student um, back in the late 90s, and I was driving along the road in my car, my English car. I was driving along the road one day, and then there's somebody else heading towards me, and I'm thinking, what's he doing? And then he starts flashing his lights at me, those yellow French headlights, and beeping his horn. I'm beeping my Get out of my way, you idiot. What are you doing? What are you, what are you, get out of my way, we're going to crash. And then I realize, of course, it's not him, it's me. I'm on the wrong side of the road, I'm going the wrong way, I'm the one that needs to turn around. Repentance, that realization that we're going the wrong way, and that, that the direction we're heading is actually taking us away from God and all the good he has for you. But repentance not only has the meaning of turning around, but it also has the meaning of going back where you belong going back where you belong. Now, the son in the story not only came to his senses and decided he needs to turn his life around, he needs to change his life, which I guess is a point that many of us have reached at some stage in our lives. But unlike many of us, who often fall back into the same patterns and back into the same cycle, he did something about it. He took an active step. He went for help. So verse 20 tells us, it says, so he got up and went to his father. He got up and went to his father. He went home. And for us, repentance is really the same thing. It's the decision to return to the Father. It's the decision to come home. It's the realization that I can't do this by myself. Actually, I I can't find fulfillment by myself. And actually, I don't need to keep trying to prove myself. I don't need to do that anymore. I I need help to get my arm out of this letterbox so I can live a full life. The prayer associated with this third aspect in the 30-day challenge book, is God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Show me how to turn towards you for help. And so later in this meeting, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do just that, to turn to God for help if you feel that's the right thing for you today. And that means everybody in here, from those sitting right at the back to those sitting down here. The opportunity to change direction, to start running towards God, to come home. There's going to be an opportunity to do that today. And then next week, we'll also give the opportunity to get baptized, if that's right for you, if that's appropriate. To get baptized throughout Scripture, baptism is the next step. Follow Jesus, and then you get baptized. Repent and be baptized is the clear instruction of the New Testament. So for you today, coming home might be a case of making that decision to take that important step in your relationship with Jesus. It might be a brand new relationship today. It might be you've been with him for a while, but taking that important step of baptism. Now, before I carry on, we're going to hear another one of our stories um, that we've been featuring of people here from Kings. By the way, if you've missed any of the stories from the previous couple of weeks, they're on our website. Go to the Coming Home section. You'll find those stories there. Well worth a listen if you've missed them. But today we're going to hear from Steve. So if we could play Steve's story. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. I had a lot of love growing up. I had a lot of acceptance. My mum and dad loved me unconditionally and I knew that love. 
but there was a deep longing inside of me. There was a longing for more. I wanted acceptance and love not only from my friends, but also from my peers. I started hanging around with people and I wanted to be accepted by them. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be their friend. And so they were smoking. So I started smoking. Uh, They would start drinking. So I'd start drinking. There were times um, as I started hanging around with these people that were smoking cannabis and drinking alcohol that we met other people that were taking harder drugs, ecstasy. Um, They were going to raves, illegal raves all over the weekend. And so I I found myself becoming more and more involved with these people, more and more involved in this lifestyle. And that led me to a place of taking drugs every single day of the week, going away to illegal raves and fields across the country at weekends, not sleeping for days on end. Um, I didn't have a job. I couldn't be trusted with money. I owed money to various different people. And as a result of that... I guess I was in a place of loneliness, a place of desperation, a place of depression. And I tried many times. I remember I used to go to bed at night and I would lie in my bed and maybe I'd be five o'clock in the morning and I would go in and I would lie there and I would say, tomorrow I'm not doing this again. I don't want this anymore for my life. And I would eventually fall asleep and I would wake up the next day and within hours I was back looking to find where I can buy some cocaine or some drugs. And my life was just in this cycle and it was just continuing day after day after day. And one day I spoke to a friend who had a job working in a hotel in France and he told me about a company. And so I applied online and I thought this would be a fresh start for me, a new opportunity to to try and break free from the cycle and from the people that I was hanging around with. And I went for an interview, I got a job. A month later I was in Austria, but probably within 24 hours of being in the country, I was again taking ecstasy tablets and there just really wasn't any hope. I I started drinking a lot more alcohol, I was moving from place to place, staying with various different people and again I lost my job in Austria and at that time I tried to keep going on my own strength but got deeper and deeper into alcoholism and got to a place in the end where I just thought I'm completely fed up with this, I, I need to change my life. It was the 6th of February I think it was 2006 and I phoned my mum and dad on my birthday to see how they were doing and as I was on the phone to them I asked how the family was doing and they said that Andy who's my older brother had gone into a place called Patel which was a Christian community that takes men and women with problems of drug and alcohol addiction and been in and out of prison and I remember putting the phone down and thinking wow there's no way I will ever go there But probably four months later, I just became fed up, just fed up with life. I felt empty, I felt lonely, I was away from my family. I felt like all the doors, all the opportunities had been closed behind me. And I got on a payphone, I bought a a phone card and I phoned my dad and I said to him, Dad, I need to go to Patel. I was in Patel and I was in a church chapel and I remember... Everyone was standing up and singing and there was a guy that was sat next to me or stood next to me and he was singing and I sat there in the church with my arms folded and he turned around to me and said, why don't you get involved, why don't you sing? And I said, well, you know, I know I know about Jesus, I know verses from the Bible, I know scriptures, I can tell you the songs that you're singing. I had a knowledge of, a knowledge of who, Jesus, who Jesus is or who Jesus was in my mind. And he said to me, if you don't sing, if you don't open up yourself, you will just 
stay in the same place. You'll stay there for another year with your arms folded. So as they started to, to worship, I started to sing, to sing the songs and to sing these words. But as I started to sing the words and the song, it started to become a reality in my life. And the truth of who Jesus is really started to touch me in a very deep, profound way. He started to reveal to me that Jesus died for me, that he loved me, that I'm accepted as I am, that I can come as I am with all my baggage, with all my flaws, with all my failings. And it was it was what I would call a beautiful collision. It caught me by surprise. I wasn't looking to encounter God. I went to this Christian community to go for a year and to get free from drug addiction. I'd heard about Jesus, but I didn't know that you could have a real relationship with him. And when I met Jesus and when I encountered him, my whole life was completely transformed from that moment. I felt a peace like I'd never felt before. I didn't need to be anybody. I didn't need to act in a certain way. I didn't need to play the fool. I was accepted as I was. And I think for the first time in my life, I felt comfortable in my own skin. I didn't need to be anybody to be loved. I didn't need to behave in a certain way that God loved me as I was and for who I was. You know, I walk with a sense of peace. I walk with a sense of purpose, of, of destiny, of hope, uh, of favor, of love, of all those things that that I was looking for in the world. I was looking for acceptance and all the, all the places I searched for it left me feeling empty. But when I met Jesus and I knew that he loved me, I felt full and I've, I've felt satisfied ever since. It's a good story. Great story. And, you know, maybe, maybe you listen to a story like that and maybe for some you think, well, you yeah, know, that's completely my story. I can get that. I can identify with that. But I'm guessing for many of us, we listen to a story like that, all the stories we've had over the last couple of weeks, and maybe think, well, that's, that's not, I don't have a story like that. Because my life's pretty ordinary, really. Uh, you know, it's not, my life's not so bad. Well, listen, I, neither do I. I don't have a story like that. I never got into drugs or that crime or, or the downward spiral in, in that way. But like I said a couple of weeks ago, for those who were here, you were surrounded by stories in this room. And they're all different. Different backgrounds, different pathways through life. But there is one thing that many of the stories in this room do have in common, and that is the, the life-changing, transforming discovery of the real and personal love of God. Now, that is Steve's story, and that's my story as well. And that's the story of many people in here. You see, the point is not how dramatic your story is. The point is who you find when you turn around. It's who you meet when you repent. Steve found a God of love utter love, who accepted him completely with all his flaws, all the baggage, all the stuff that was going on in his life. Just acceptance and the reality of Jesus dying on a cross for him became so real to him so that he could encounter God in that way. That's my experience as well, though. Yeah, I wasn't into drugs and I wasn't doing all this and that, but there was plenty wrong with me, and there still is, in my attitudes, my thinking, and the fact that my back was turned to God. I was going the wrong way. And I encountered a God of love, a God of absolute acceptance. He just accepted me. And it broke me, and it changed my life. And it's still changing my life. The, the reality of Jesus dying on the cross for me so that I could be near him, but I can never get over that. And that is still changing my life today. And this is the father that we see in the story. This is the father Jesus describes to us. He tells us, as this son turns around, as he makes his way home, the second part of verse 20 says, while he was a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And I thought that came out really powerfully in that retelling that we had just before. See, in telling this story, Jesus is telling us what God is like. What kind of reception you receive when you come home to him. That there doesn't need to be any fear of whether or not he will accept me. You know, this isn't like having your arms stuck in a letterbox and worrying about whether your friend's mum is going to be cross or not. There's no fear with God about whether or not he will accept you. He does. He longs for you to come to him. This is the God who waits for you. This is a God who runs to you. You see, this son in the story, he would have been utterly rejected by his community, by the village, shunned by the village for what, he, you know, for what he did. He was not expecting a good reception from anybody when he came back. And I'm guessing his father would have had people in his ear saying, look, you've got to forget about him. This son should be dead to you now. For what he did, for turning his back on you, for insulting you, he should be dead to you. Forget about him. Move on. Stop thinking about him. But the father didn't care about any of that. He didn't care if he looked weak or stupid or if, he looked, or if he was being humiliated. He just wanted his son to come home. And he watched out day after day after day, hoping to catch a glimpse of his boy. Maybe this is the day that he will come home. And when he sees him, he runs. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. See, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. This is the God who waits for you. When we can admit that we can't do this on our own, when we admit we need help, when we start to take a step towards God, this is how he responds. This is the God you will find. The God who runs. And he runs to embrace you no matter what you've done with your life up to this point. He's the God who accepts you because he gave everything to have you. He gave everything He's the God who accepts you. He's the God who rejoices over you. Now, this picture of a father running to a son reminds me of Derek Redmond, uh, the British athlete. Some of you will remember this. Some of you will have seen this. Uh, Back in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, he uh, was running 400 meters, and his his career had been played with injury up to that point, lots of operations. But everything seemed to be coming together for this moment. And he was running really well. He was in the great chance of a medal. He got to the semifinals, and... Here's what happened. Let's just watch this.
that was his dad, in case you hadn't worked it out. But I just love that picture. Of, I love the bit where he just shoes the other guy away. He says, get away. This is my son. This is my boy. And, and he's finishing the race. I'm helping him to finish the race. You get away from him. And I just think it's a great picture of how a father runs to help his broken son, his broken child. And it's a great picture of what God is like. That is what he is like. He longs for you. But here's the thing. We don't just learn about God from the father in the story. We also learn about God through the storyteller. See, the most important part of this aspect that we're looking at today of help is that you meet the narrator of the story. Because in Jesus, we see we see the guarantee of God's love for you in the cross. You look at the cross, the lengths he went to, it's the guarantee that he loves you. He, did, he gave everything for you. We see that this is not some out there God, some distant out there God who doesn't care, but he's a God who is present with us, who is active, who is relational, who, who longs to, to be near us, to be close to us. Let me illustrate that in this way. Dorothy Sayers was a, an early 20th century author. And she was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. And she wrote detective fiction. And she, by her own admission, she wasn't particularly attractive. And she, her most famous, well-known character, detective character, was somebody called Lord Peter Whimsey. And she wrote a whole series of stories about him. And halfway through the series, a new character emerges. And it's a woman called Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane, in the story is one of the first women to graduate from Oxford, and she's a writer of mystery fiction, and she's not particularly attractive. And she falls in love with Peter, they, they, they get married. And it's like Dorothy Sayers, the author, looked into this world that she had created, and she looked and fell in love with this man she had created, and she wrote herself into the story because he was lonely. And so she decided to solve the problem with herself. And that's a lovely story, but what Jesus did is so much greater. It's infinitely greater than that, because God looked at the world he had created, and he looked at us and all of our mess, all of our rebellion towards him. But he wrote himself into the real world, not a fictional world. He came into the real world as Jesus, as a baby, and that's unimaginable. If you believe that God created the universe, that he would limit himself to being a vulnerable, helpless human baby. It's unfathomable to us, but he did. We celebrate it every Christmas. He came not just to be with us, but he came to die for us. That was always the plan. He came to die in our place, to pay the debt we owed to God that we could never pay back, so it made it possible for us to come home to him, to be with God. He gave his life so that we could have life and have life to the full. So in Jesus, we see a God of un believable love, incomprehensible love, God who, who is present among us, who's present with us and promises never to leave us on our own, a God who's full of grace, refusing to condemn us even when it's utterly deserved, a God who's humble, who comes down to our level at great cost to himself to be near us, to welcome us home, and a God who is so for us, he's so for you, he sacrificed himself when we were helpless to save ourselves. This is what God is like. And this is the God who waits for you. That's the gospel. That's good news. So maybe for you, today is the day you need to come home. Turn your life. Repent. It might be that you've taken up that challenge of the 30-day 
uh, wager on God, praying, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And that's exactly what he's doing, has been doing, is doing now. Maybe you haven't been doing that at all, and yet you still know that God is calling you today. And you know if he is, by the way, you do know your heart will be beating faster. You have something in the pit of your stomach. You know if he's calling you today. Maybe you feel like you've been in that distant country, chasing after all sorts of things, trying to find that fulfillment you're looking for, but just ending up feeling a bit empty, feeling disappointed, dissatisfied, and and filled with regret. Maybe you're hesitant to come back from there, either because pride keeps you from admitting you can't do this on your own, or maybe even there's a sense of shame knowing where you've been and what you've done. Or maybe there's a fear about what that future holds. Let me make something very clear before we go on. You can never be too far away from God. You can never have done too much. You can never be too bad for him to love you and welcome you home. You can always come home to him because of who he is. Because there's this father scanning the horizon, watching out for you. Waiting for you to respond to him. Waiting for you to come home. The one who took every bit of the shame of our sin upon himself on the cross. He longs for you to return. He longs for you. And when you step towards him, he runs. He runs towards you. He embraces you.